So I hope you brought your Bibles today. We're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures. So um, if you want to turn to Second Chronicles chapter 28, that is where we will start. Let me say a few things first. Um, the title of the sermon is, Some People Just Don't Get It. When someone says, hey, you just don't get it, what does that mean? It can mean things like, you don't understand. In the McGraw-Hill Dictionary of American Idioms and Phrases, it puts the meaning as, you really don't see what people are trying to tell you. You just don't get it. This is how I'm using this expression, but in this sense, you really don't see what God is trying to tell you. Some people just don't get it. This is certainly true of the kings of Judah. It is the story of King Ahaz. He never did get it. Now, King Ahaz was the son of Jotham, who was a great king in Judah. In 2 Chronicles 27, verse 6, it says of Jotham that he became mighty because he ordered his ways before the Lord his God. However, King Ahaz did not follow in his father's footsteps. So let's go ahead and read the story in chapter 28. We're going to read from verse 1 through 7. And then I'm going to skip the middle section, not because it's not important, but because it's a side story. And then we'll pick up again in verse 16. So if you are able, would you please stand in honor of God's word. Second Chronicles chapter 28, verse 1. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even made metal images for the Baals. And he made offering in the valley of the son of Hinnom. And burned his sons as an offering according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Therefore, the Lord as God gave him into the hand of the king of Syria, <clears throat> who defeated him and took captive a great number of his people and brought them to Damascus. He was also given into the hand of the king of Israel, who struck him with great force for Pekah, the son of Ramalia, killed 120,000 of Judah in one day, all of them men of valor, because they had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. <clears throat> and Zikri, a mighty man of Ephraim, killed Messiah, the king's son, and Azrakam, the commander of the palace, and Elkanah, the next in authority to the king. Now turn to verse 16. At that time, King Ahaz sent 
to the king of Assyria for help. For the Edomites had invaded and defeated Judah and carried away captives. And the Philistines had made raids on the cities in the Shephelah and the Negev of Judah and had taken Beth Shemesh, Ijalon, Gedaroth, Soko with its villages, Timnah with its villages, and Gizmo with its villages, and they settled there. For the Lord humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had made Judah act sinfully and had been very unfaithful to the Lord. So Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came against him and afflicted him instead of strengthening him. For Ahaz took a portion from the house of the Lord and the house of the king and of the princes and gave tribute to the king of Assyria, but it did not help him. In the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless, more faithless to the Lord, this same king Ahaz, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him and said, because of the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. And he has gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God. And he shut up the doors of the house of the Lord and he made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem and every city of Judah. He made high places to make offerings to other gods provoking to provoking to anger the Lord, the God of his fathers. Amen. You may be seated. Praise be to God for his word. Not amen for the idolatry, but amen that God's word is true. I want to make that clarification. So we see at the outset of this story, according to verse 1, that King Ahaz did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, King Ahaz expanded and pushed idolatry much further than any of his predecessors. And for the first time in the history of the kings of Judah, he even began to sacrifice to his own sons. He began to sacrifice his own sons to the, to the god Moloch. Immediately, God began bringing consequences to discipline him. Notice the beginning of these consequences in verse 5. The king of Syria attacked him and carried some of the people away captive. Then next, the king of Israel attacked and killed 120,000 men of valor. And notice according to verse 6 that it is because they had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. The next thing we see is that the northern kingdom took 200,000 people of Judah. Now this is the section we didn't read. It's verses 8 through 15, which is really about um, how God brought those 200,000 back. So continue with King Ahaz. Immediately after Judah was attacked by the northern kingdom, in verses 16 and 17, the Edomites attacked Judah. They won and also carried away captives. So when the Edomites attacked, what does King Ahaz do? He asks the king of 
Assyria for help. So the backstory of this is in the in Second Kings. I got a little confused about this until I um, read both. But what King Ahaz had done is after the king of Syria, whose capital is Damascus, after they attacked him, he um, sent tribute to Assyria, which is just, it's a, a powerhouse nation just to the east of Syria. So he allied with Assyria, became kind of the vassal to Assyria. And so Assyria came and then attacked Syria and destroyed Syria. So it's temporarily brought a little bit of peace, but um, they kept Judah kept getting attacked. So when Edom attacked, then Ahaz sought the help of Assyria again. But what ended up happening? Assyria ended up turning on Judah. They came, but they didn't come to help. Rather, they afflicted Judah. That's what verse 20 tells us. So Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came against him and afflicted him instead of strengthening him. Well, why did he do that? Why did the king of Assyria turn on King Ahaz in their time of need? You know, it's kind of like beating them when they're down, taking advantage of them when they're helpless. But the reason we're given for why Assyria did this is in verse 19. For the Lord humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel. For he had made Judah act sinfully and had been very unfaithful to the Lord. That's why. He had been very unfaithful to the Lord and caused the nation to act the same. So then we come to verse 22. In the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to to the Lord, this same king Ahaz. Now this additional phrase here in this verse, this same king Ahaz, it's like taking a highlighter. It's like putting it in bold print. I can imagine the writer here wanting to shout out, the same king Ahaz! It's unimaginable that he would continue to digress like he did. But King Ahaz, he became yet more faithless to the Lord. And it was after I read this verse, verse 22, that I thought to myself, he just never did get it. All these consequences, he just never got it. He never saw what the Lord was trying to tell him. You know the saying, um, no one is an atheist in a foxhole? Why do they say that? It's because in times of greatest distress, When our very lives are on the line, it's at those times that something deep down within us wants to reach out to our Creator for help. That tends to be a normal response. And I have observed this in jail ministry. Many of the guys who are there really see their need and cry out to God for help. 
That's why it's such a great opportunity for evangelism. But sadly, many in jail are still just like King Ahaz. They never do get it. They don't turn to the Lord in their time of need. And when we look at the story of King Ahaz, things go from bad to worse. And what did he do? Did he repent and turn and seek the Lord? No. He responded by adding even more and more idols, thinking that maybe they will help him. Let's look at verses 23 through 24 again. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that he had, defeat, that had defeated him and said, Hey, because the, king, the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God. And he shut up the doors of the house of the Lord And he made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. Can't get much worse than that. So you notice he not only added more idols, but he shut the doors of the house of the Lord as if the God of Israel did not even exist. In closing the doors of the temples, Perhaps he was like the 19th century philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who is known for declaring, God is dead. Ahaz was essentially saying, Yahweh is dead. So he shut the doors. In his day, Nietzsche argued that God never existed to begin with. And perhaps King Ahaz ended up in a similar place. Whoever ends up in that place, the Bible describes it as the hardening of the heart. Let me ask you, is your heart hard? Have you gotten to the same point as King Ahaz? Maybe thinking things like, the Christian God may no longer exist. Or maybe thinking, the Bible is just made up of stories written by men. Well, likely, if you're here at church, then your heart is not that hard, at least not yet. But are you on a path where your heart is slowly hardening through unbelief? It is a tragedy that some people who grow up in church end up rejecting Christ. Don't be one of them. Young people here, kids, young people, don't be one of them. Don't let your heart harden towards the Lord. You see, some people just don't get it. King Ahaz never got it. Do you get it? Do you hear what God is trying to say to you? You see, if you continue down a path where you just don't get it, you may end up with just as hard of a heart as King Ahaz. He never did get it. Well, what about the kings who did get it? Well, let's now consider the pattern of the kings of Judah 
the pattern of those who get it compared to those who do not. You know, as I studied the book of Second Chronicles, I noticed this pattern. There were kings of Judah who got it, and there were those who did not. The kings of Judah who got it are those who sought after the Lord. So please take note that seeking the Lord is an important theme in this sermon. So we'll be talking about that a lot here. And since it's important, I want to talk about how do we define it? How do we define seeking the Lord? In general, seeking means to try to find something or someone. You remember the game hide and seek that we would play as kids, maybe your kids play it, seeking to find those who are hiding. Regarding seeking the Lord, when we seek the Lord, we make effort to draw near to God through prayer, through reading and studying His Word, through singing, and through gathering with His people. Let me say that again. When we seek the Lord, we make effort to draw near to God through prayer, through reading and studying his word, through singing, and through gathering with his people. Often we are driven to to seek the Lord by a deep sense of our own need for him. And we have a strong desire to be in his presence. We want to be in his presence. And so for the kings of Judah who got it, they are those who sought after the Lord. On the other hand, the kings of Judah who did not get it, they are the ones who abandoned seeking after the Lord and ended up seeking the idols of the nations around them. And that was the problem with King Ahaz. Rather than seeking the Lord, he sought idols. And God began disciplining him and trying to get his attention and to bring him to repentance, but he would not listen. Rather, he responded to the discipline by going right back to his sin, to worshiping idols and worshiping them to a much greater extent. He just never got it. What about you? Do you get it? Do you seek the Lord? Do you respond in repentance when God disciplines you? Do you listen and give heed to his word? Turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 11. We're going to look at a few more examples of the kings. Of Judah. So King Rehoboam, in his day, the kingdom of Israel was divided. He listened to the advice of his young friends rather than the sage advice of those who had been around a long time and <laughs> knew how things should be done. But so the kingdom was divided. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. And Rehoboam remained king of the southern kingdom. And so, right after the kingdom divided, 
he was able to um, get things worked out in his kingdom so he maintained power and, and everything settled down. And so let's start in verse, just verse 16 and 17 here. Right after it was divided and he um, was successful initially in the beginning of his kingdom. Okay, verse 16 of chapter 11. And those who had set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel came after them from all the tribes of Israel to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord, the God of their fathers. And they strengthened the kingdom of Judah. And for three years, they made Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, secure. For they walked for three years in the way of David and Solomon. So everything went well for three years as the southern kingdom sought the Lord. Unfortunately, this was short-lived. So let's see what happens in chapter 12, in the first eight verses. When the rule of Rehoboam was established and he was strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, because they had been unfaithful to the Lord, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem with 1,200 chariots and 60,000 horsemen, and the people were without number who came with him from Egypt. Libyans, Sukim, Suklim, I can't pronounce that, and Ethiopians. And he took the fortified cities of Judah and came as far as Jerusalem. Then Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and to the princes of Judah, who had gathered at Jerusalem because of Shishak, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, You abandoned me, so I have abandoned you to the hand of Shishak. Then the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, The Lord is righteous. When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah. They have humbled themselves. I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance, and my wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. So we see God beginning to discipline Rehoboam and the people of Judah through Shishak, the king of Egypt. And there appears to be some repentance here. But when, when you get to verse 14, you see what would be similar to an obituary. The obituary of Rehoboam's life. A simple sentence there in verse 14. And he did evil, for he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. So based on that verse, I think we can say Rehoboam never really got it. He did not get it because he never set his heart to seek the Lord. Now turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 17. I like to hear pages flipping. Unfortunately, you can't hear uh, phone apps flipping for those who are reading the Bible on their phone. Okay. So let's consider King Jehoshaphat. So we see the pattern of the King Jehoshaphat in chapter 17, verses 3 through 4. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father David. He did not seek the balls, 
but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the practices of Israel. So the pattern is that Jehoshaphat sought the Lord. He sought the Lord. That was his pattern. Now we're going to look at chapter 19 verses 1 through 4. But before we read the passage, just a bit of background. King Jehoshaphat becomes friends with King Ahab, king of the, in the northern kingdom of Israel. And King Ahab wasn't a great guy. He didn't follow the Lord. Um, he was known as a wicked king. But Jehoshaphat allied himself with King Ahab even though their lives went in two different paths, it's like becoming unequally yoked. And these two kings end up going into battle against Syria. Long story short, they lost the battle. Ahab dies, and Jehoshaphat returns back to, uh, returns back to home. And so we find ourselves in, in uh, chapter 19, verses 1 through 4. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. But Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to the king, and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. Nevertheless, some good is found in you, for you destroyed the Asheroth out of the land and have set your heart to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat lived at Jerusalem and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. So Jehoshaphat learned a hard lesson here. But he learned. And we see in verse 3, the good that was found in him, one of the things listed is that he set his heart to seek the Lord. That was the pattern of his life. And in verse 4, we see what happens after Jehoshaphat learns his lesson. He begins to be a very effective leader. He starts turning everyone back to the Lord. Notice from Beersheba in the far south to the hill country of Ephraim. That's the entire area that Judah controlled and then some. It's pretty amazing what happened when the kings of Judah sought the Lord. So we can conclude that Jehoshaphat got it. Again, what about you? Do you get it? Do you seek the Lord? And does your seeking cause you to impact others toward Christ in your own family? Maybe even at work, neighbors and other people. I want to remind you of something that I think is important in the culture in which we live. You can't get what God is trying to tell you if you keep your eyes on everything else but Him. You won't be able to hear if your ears are blocked 
by infatuation with this world. You know, as a, as a parent, I've learned the difference between when my child hears and when my child actually listens. Often a child will, will hear at least a part of what you say, but then they don't obey you, and it's the per- proverbial in one ear, out the other. However, when the child listens, then you know that he has given heed to what you say and, and then follows the instructions. One thing that helped us, my wife and I, when our kids were little, is we would have them make eye contact with us and look, look at us when we gave instructions, and then we would know that they would give heed to what we would say and more likely to do what we ask. Too often, I, I think we read our Bibles, you know, we come to church, we're hearing truth, but we're not always listening. And often I think it's because we are distracted by the things of this world. So let us pray that God will open our ears to truly listen and turn our eyes from the world so that we may hear what he is trying to say to us. So again, we're talking about seeking the Lord, hearing what he has to say to us. And we looked at the pattern. The kings of, the Judah, the kings of Judah who got it were those who sought the Lord. The kings of Judah who did not get it are those who abandoned seeking the Lord and ended up seeking idols of the nations around them. So you see how seeking the Lord is an important theme here. So as we look to the New Testament, we see that seeking the Lord is a priority for believers. In the New Testament, seeking the Lord is a priority for believers. We're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew you like to turn there, Gospel of Matthew chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 3. You don't have to worry, I plan to effectively uh, put you to sleep here this morning. That's a joke. It's meant to kind of help wake us up a little bit. <laughs> I appreciate the smiles and the courtesy laugh. Okay, Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 33. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The world seeks after food, drink, clothing, the basic necessities of life. But we are asked to seek the kingdom of God above all these things. So we can see that seeking the kingdom of God is more important than seeking the basic necessities 
of life. And if Jesus teaches that seeking the kingdom of God is more important than seeking the basic needs of life, how much more important is it than seeking entertainment, than seeking the pleasures and comforts of this life? Our culture is captivated with entertainment and pleasure. But God calls us to seek him. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 2. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. I'm going to make three observations from this scripture. First, seeking the Lord is setting our hearts on the realities of heaven. Seeking the Lord is setting our hearts on the realities of heaven. So think about it for a moment. What is important to you? What is important to you? Just ask what you think about throughout the day, every day. That will tell you what's important to you. What captivates your mind, what captivates your thoughts. And what about our risen and ascended Lord Jesus who is ruling from heaven? Is he at least part of your answer to what is important? Second observation. Seeking the Lord is not just something we do. It is something we think. It's what our minds are engaged in. As Paul said, set your minds on things above. Third observation. Paul presents two choices here for our minds to be engaged in. Things above and things on earth. And we know what the right choice is and We also know how we get a little preoccupied with the things on earth. I know I do. I'm preaching to myself as well here this morning. You know, cell phones, we're all familiar with cell phones. And we know that when we get a new cell phone, everything is set to default. Default settings. Right? The ringtone is a default setting. The sound of when you get a text message is a default sound. And, and we'll change those to make them to be sounds that we like and we want. But think about our default settings as fallen, sinful humans. It's unfortunate, but our default is to set our minds on the things of the earth. That's our default. So if you do nothing, then you're choosing to set your minds on the things of the earth. 
do nothing, and that's what happens. Minds are on the things of the earth. Now, I'm not trying to just make this a simple black and white decision because this side of heaven, when we struggle and battle against the flesh, which we're learning about on Wednesday night now, this side of heaven, we will, we will battle the desires of our hearts, the desires that our hearts have for the things of this world. And that's, gonna, that's, that's a lifelong battle until we, we get to be with the Lord in new resurrected bodies. But the point is, we will need to be intentional to make these decisions every day to seek the Lord for the rest of our lives. We'll need to be intentional about it. Otherwise, the default will set in. And the more we seek the Lord, the more we will cherish heaven where he dwells. The more we seek the Lord, something else might start to happen. We might start to turn off things like Fox News and CNN. We might start to turn off sports channels. We might even start deleting some of our favorite apps on our cell phones. You see, the more we seek the Lord, the more we will choose to spend time with Him rather than on entertainment. And so as seeking the Lord increases over time, so seeking the things of the world should decrease over time as well. Now let me direct you to one more scripture on seeking the Lord. This is just going to be quick. First um, Corinthians chapter 9, 24 through 25 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. The point is, seeking the Lord requires a little bit of discipline. Some people are better, naturally just better at disciplining their lives and living intentionally. They're gifted that way. But regardless, we all need to make choices. We all need to make the choices to seek the Lord as a regular part of our lives. So before moving to the the last heading, I want to briefly answer the question, why do we seek the Lord? Why is it important that we seek the Lord? Why do we seek the Lord? There are many answers. Uh, For me, I've identified four of the top answers. So I'm going to give those to you briefly. First, we seek him because we love him. Matthew 22, 37, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And 1 John four nineteen, We love because he first loved us. 
So we seek him because we love him. Second, we seek him because we delight to be in his presence. Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So we seek him because we delight to be in his presence. Third, we seek him because we want to know him. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So we seek him because we want to know him. Fourth, we seek him because we need his grace. We depend on his grace every day in our lives. As Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we seek him because we need his grace. So again, in the New Testament, seeking the Lord is to be a priority for believers. And there's really nothing better we can do with our time. Now, a warning for unbelievers. A warning for unbelievers. In Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? Not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. This verse reminds us that we are helpless and hopeless without God's grace. In fact, an unbeliever does not seek the Lord on his own. He doesn't even want to. God must save him. God must give him new birth. God must give him new life and a new heart. If this is you, you you look at your life and you know that that this scripture refers to you, that you're one of the ones that doesn't seek the Lord. If you are realizing this now, then God may be drawing you to himself. And if he is, and you feel the tug on your heart, and if God is drawing you to yourself, then look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in him. Put your trust in him. And he will forgive you. And he will adopt you as his son, as his daughter. He will forgive your sins. And you will become into a right relationship with the very God who created you. If he's tugging on your heart, submit to Christ And trust him. But be warned. You cannot save yourself. 
You can only respond by putting your trust in Christ. That is the only way. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Our pastor recently preached on this. Matthew seven thirteen through 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. This verse unfortunately speaks a powerful truth for those who remain in their unbelief. They just don't get it. And this is the reality for the majority of people on earth. They are all on the wide path that leads to destruction. They all just never do get it. And the greatest consequence anyone can ever face is the consequence of taking this wide path and ending in destruction. Let me ask again, do you get it? Do you get it? Are you on this wide path to destruction? There is hope. There is hope. There is another way. There is the narrow gate. Jesus Christ, the very Son of God who died for our sins and rose from the dead. Those who get it, they find this narrow gate. They take this path. It's the path of all those who trust in the Lord Jesus for salvation. It is the path of all those who follow Christ. And it is the path of those who seek after the Lord as a pattern for all of their lives. It is the path of those who submit to God's word and the path of those who drink continually from the grace of God. Blessed are all those on this glorious narrow path. But a warning to those who remain on the wide path. It's time to jump ship. It's time to come to Christ. So for everyone here, I want to exhort you, seek the Lord. Seek Him always. Let us make seeking our Lord a regular part of our lives. Do you get it? I pray that you will. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the powerful truths in your word, the example of so many people who have gone before us. Thank you that even in church here, we're seeking you. And even prayer right now, we're seeking you. Because of Christ our Savior, we have access to you. Thank you for our glorious salvation in Christ. Give us the grace to see you. Give us the grace to put off 
the worldly delights so that we may spend more time seeking you. And I pray for the heart of anyone here who hears these truths who don't get it. Quicken them to life by your spirit. Save them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.